Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk to some USC Trojan football, as we always do here on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Keely York, video Dan Weber on the line. We're going to talk about the Trojans, the future of the program. We had Mike Bone on the podcast last week. He made some comments. He also talked to the Athletics, so he made some different comments there. We'll talk about all that, what this means, what the Athletic Director is saying, what it means for the future of the USC football program. If you have any questions or comments for us, we got a lot this week, so thanks for doing that. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or if you'd like to call and leave a voicemail or send us a text, you can do that at 424-254-9141. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere you can get a podcast, you can subscribe to our show and leave us a positive review Five-star ratings. We love that stuff. It helps propagate the show. Keely, are you a big raider of the podcast that you listen to? Do you do it, go out there and give them five stars? Not really. Is that bad? No, Considering I don't, we ask people to do that. I'm I, also not a huge podcaster to begin with. Yeah. I, I do podcasts, but I don't listen to many. Is that, that bad? No, it's the same way. I, I listen to this more now than I did when we first started. But I like reading reviews on like Amazon and stuff, but I don't really leave them or Yelp. or you know, I leave like uber reviews or, or uber like five stars but if you guys are doing it just you know take a time on your phone go to apple and just say boom five stars for the peristyle podcast we'd appreciate that dan i don't know you a big uh raider of the podcast uh no <laughs> short and simple you probably don't listen to many podcasts either right i do not yeah it's funny like when i started doing this i never did i listen to more of them now because like there's an app in my car that i can listen to them mm. but i started doing the spotify thing recently too but you can get the podcast there um, all right, before we jump into everything, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. I went to a friend's house for dinner Sunday night, and uh, they had the steak tips. They made the steak tips. I'm like, I know what those are. But then for dessert, those little mini cones, and I forget what they're called. Uh, they're chocolate or uh, vanilla little mini cones. It's like there's chocolate on top, a little chocolate at the bottom. So it's like a just a mini ice cream cone. The good part of the cone. Yeah, and uh, those are good, too. So it was like nice. kind of a Trader Joe's-themed dinner but we want to thank Trader Joe's they've been uh, great to us I just stopped in there yesterday picked up my usual breakfast stuff I did pick up uh some bagels I haven't tried there yet bagels and cream cheese I don't know I just been on a little kick for that like they have gluten-free bagels which I found on Sunday so that was an exciting really yes shots to Trader Joe's nice Mm -hmm. um all right well thanks to Trader Joe's and we'll uh, roll on with the show uh Dan so we, we had that was our special. We were teasing it last week. We had Mike Bone exclusively on the Peristyle podcast. So nice of him to come on and talk to us for about half an hour or so. He also, uh, earlier on, I think it was Monday or maybe it was today. Today's Tuesday. Uh, he did an uh, interview or he sat down, I think, on Monday with uh, Antonio Morales, our friend that covers USC at The Athletic. And that was a pretty long uh, interview he did with them. Uh, any uh, any initial thoughts, Dan, from uh, what Mike Bone was saying? You know, man, I think his heart is in the right place, I think, without a doubt. I, I think they uh, are acting a little bit 
uh, I think they thought they maybe had a little more time, and I don't think they uh, understood at all what it was going to look like with the 11-day pause to make a decision about Clay Helton, uh, you know, after the season, and then deciding to go ahead, thinking they had enough time to do the other things, and uh, people would give them time. And, and and you can understand that if you're new here, you've been here a couple of months. And you haven't lived through the last decade of uh, the kinds of frustrations USC fans have been feeling. And, you know, with the way they decided to, uh, you know, combat the NCAA uh, uh, charges, the things that have happened with the hiring and firing of coaches, and then the precipitous, uh, you know, uh, plunge of USC recruiting and you know, five and seven, six, all those things, they weren't here for any of that. So I think it kind of kicked them in the teeth, the reaction of the USC fan base. When you can see in both interviews, Mike, you know, keeps talking about the passion of the USC fans and whoa, whoa. And I think, you know, he and Carol Fulton and all these, you know, everybody that was involved uh, were shocked a little bit. I think we were a little bit uh, how you know, strong that reaction has been. And and I don't know when you see, you know, Mike talks about all the things they're trying to do. I think they're able to do some of those things because he can go to the President Fult and say, you saw what happened, you know, when we made the decision about Clay. We can't screw around. We have to do what we said we're going to do. We have to come up with more people, more resources in recruiting. We've got to get some really good assistant coaches in here. Uh, we can't, you know, just try to be penny, you know, penny wise and pound foolish and all that. Uh, we've got to go out and do something because, you know, we're really in trouble here. We didn't realize how bad the trouble was. And you can't create history for somebody. If you haven't been here in the last decade, you can't really feel uh, the frustration of, of the USC fan base. Well, now they can uh, so I think they're really trying to do it. Um, I, I just think I think the most difficult part for Mike is saying that we want the excellence that USC has always you know, striven for. And that's not just winning the Pac-12 or competing for the Pac-12 South. That's, you know, being in, in the national uh, conversation and, and the playoff conversation and winning the Pac-12. And, uh, you know, I just think he he talks about doing all the right things in terms of hires and they, I, you know, there's not a hire that they uh, made that you wouldn't say, wow, that's as, about as good as you could have done, uh, you know, here, 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 and here, but they started off, you know, with, when you say we only want to bring the absolute very best person in the United States to come in and raise money uh, come in and you know do all the you know recruit and do all the things that that need to be done at USC. When you start off with the very first thing you did was retain Clay Helton. It's just it's such a contradiction that it it makes it you know Mike is really uh, you know having to overcome that with everything he does. Now maybe that helps you make some of these hires that maybe you wouldn't have necessarily been allowed to financially uh maybe it allows you to cancel the cal davis game uh that you may not want to, to take the financial hit uh before and now you realize with the kind of the revolt of the fan base that you pretty much have to do everything else that you can do 
as well as you can possibly do it. Uh, so, so you can see a lot of pluses, but again, you're still uh, you're still trying to do a lot of things for a head coach who wasn't able to do those for himself. When you say, hey, you know, now we've got resources. Why didn't you have resources? You know, why wasn't the head coach able to demand the kind of resources that now you say um, he has and all of that? I mean, it's a it's a tough sell in a lot of ways, but you've got to give them credit. What they're doing, you know, if you analyze every one of the moves after the Clay Helton move, it's pretty good. Pretty good job. I mean, it's pretty exciting to see, you know, Dante Williams and Todd Orlando and Sean Snyder and those guys, uh, you know, on the sidelines. Uh, that's impressive. Yeah. And, uh, Keely, I want to get your thoughts on this first, and then we'll get Dan's thoughts on it. I, obviously, the fan base was not excited about Clay Helton coming back. I think the assumption is you assume that Mike Bone thinks Clay Helton is the right guy for the job. He's the best coach available. Like, I don't think that's the case. I feel that his comments have not been like, yeah, he's the greatest coach we've ever seen. We definitely want him there. It's more about this is what I kind of was dealt and hasn't got into the reasons why, you know, it could be there. But I think the fans are really getting on him for, and I, and I get it. I'm the same way. Like you should have made a change there. All the other changes, I think all the other moves from have mostly been really good, but I think the fans, it's, for a lot of them, it's hard to get over it. But I'm not sure they're. I think they're they're making an assumption that Mike Bone is saying he's the greatest coach around, and I, I haven't heard him say that. Yeah, I would agree, and I think you have to look at the context of the timing of when he came to USC and the the moves he would have to make to make that change with being new to the the program. Like it's just yeah. it, it's. It was a tough situation for him to be in, and we don't know the full dirty laundry of the athletic department. He could have gotten in there and been like, there are way higher tier problems that I need to take care of first rather than doing this, and we don't know the financial problems that would come with firing Clay Helton. So for me, I don't think it's necessarily black and white him coming into to USC and being like, yeah, Clay Helton's the greatest coach ever. Let's move forward. I think he was dealt a hand and tried to make the best strategic long-term decision. Yeah. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think uh, uh, Mike talks about, you know, the most significant things they've done uh, have been to uh, kind of, uh, uh, I guess, bring together all the elements on campus for for the support that they've needed. And, you know, that it was an internal kind of a, a, you know, group of progress, you know, that they made a lot of progress in terms of getting everybody on campus agreeing that they needed, you know, to to go as strong as they've ha- as they've gone. Uh, once the Clay Helton, you know, decision was made, the problem was, uh, and maybe you know, they obviously maybe didn't have enough time, didn't talk it through enough, didn't understand it enough that what they needed to do was probably get that decision right first, then move to the other decisions. I think they're, and, and again we're never probably going to know all the ins and outs of, uh, of Clay's contract and the poison pills that apparently we seem to hear were, you know, were in there, uh, you know, had he been let go immediately and all of that. And obviously the whole Urban Meyer 
possible availability, uh, you know, gave a whole different light to all the discussions uh, of, of what was going on. Um, you know, and then playing the Urban Meyer situation against uh, USC's uh, issues with, uh, you know, all the different, you know, the FBI investigation in basketball and the uh, varsity blues and, the, you know, the athletes' uh, admissions and uh, all of that kind of stuff, uh, plus the other scandals that have been, you know, hanging over the university. Uh, you know, it might not have been the best environment to be able to make that call, but it's really hard, I think, to to make all the the lower level calls and say we're going for the best here when you kind of flubbed uh, the number one call. And and Mike, I think, agrees to that because in both your interview and and with the athletic, Mike says we're not going back there. We're not looking back. We're looking forward. You know, he don't want to talk about it. You know, the uh, the eleven day delay or. Or, or all of the things, uh, you know, and he says things like, well, Clay understands now, and he understands what we want and what we need. Clay might understand. The fan base does not understand. They don't understand why do we have to be put through another season. Uh, you know, they, they feel like, hey, you know, Clay was given the five and seven and last year, and uh, that's all they think, uh, you know, Clay – Clay needed to have been given, and USC's decided, no, we'll give him another year. And that's almost impossible to sell, but, you know, there they are. That's yeah. where they are. That's what he's trying to sell right now. But, you know, like we said, we none of us agreed with the, the initial move, which was the big one, and that was the one that happened quickly, but, uh, you know, quickly into his tenure. I think a lot of the moves he's made since then have been good. I know we have some questions about some of the stuff that went on Keeley. Uh, maybe we should just kind of jump into questions and we'll get to more details of, you know, outlying what this really is going to be the future of not just the football program, but the entire athletic department. Mm -hmm. Let's jump into a email from Alex in LA who says, first of all, great job getting the interview with AD bone. While I found his non-answer over keeping Clay Hilton infuriating, I did appreciate his candor over making over his mistakes and making those statements over the recruiting process and owning up to how terrible this cycle was. Do you think we will ever learn what happened to make him keep Clay Hilton? I sense he is not happy about it, but clearly can't say anything now. Thanks and fight on Alex. Alex in LA. You know, I think we might. I think if if and when it happens, uh, then I think we'll hear. You'd want to say, "Look, it wasn't my idea." Or, you know, there not only wasn't it my idea, but it was something else, some you know legal issue that we weren't really sure how we were going to be able to handle it. And it was not something that we really understood uh, until maybe at the last minute. And we just didn't want to have to deal with that on top of everything, something like that. I think that might come out someday. Uh, but, you know, I think it'll all depend on, you know, how does it, how does this year go? Uh, you know, does Clay you know, make it through this year? You know, I mean, even make it to this year. I don't know. Uh, I think there are all kinds of scenarios that you could you could write. I, I will say this: uh, if USC needs uh, an interim coach uh, now, they've got a lot more people. It looks like that they could actually elevate uh, if that you know situation. I'm looking at uh, Sean Snyder, for example. I mean, there's just a lot of people on this staff that you would say uh, if they if they do need somebody like that. Uh, uh, 
you know they've got a, a base of, of people uh, that you could go there with, but uh, but it's an exciting staff. How how it all goes together, how it all works out together, uh, who plans practice, who makes the decisions on starters, and and who uh, you know decides on the physicality that's going to be needed, you know, in practices and all that. I mean, most of the coaches don't have the same philosophy that Clay Helton has. Um, you know, and it, it, it kind of worked a little bit. I mean, it worked a, a good bit on offense last year. You brought in somebody <clears throat> who had an offense that Clay thought he might want to go to in the last game of the year before against Notre Dame. And so that kind of worked out, except they couldn't run the ball because the offensive line isn't nearly physical enough and, and they don't, you know, work at it hard enough in practice. Uh, but can that happen on defense and special teams uh, enough? Uh, with USC's talent, it ought to be enough to, you know, to win the Pac-12, but, uh, but will it be? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. We don't know. I'd be curious to see what, you know, the, we were not going to know much of that first week and then they take a week off. But once they put pads on, I guess week three, we should know a lot more. Uh, we'll see. Okay, we did get a really long voicemail from our buddy Bobby in L.A. Now, Bobby, when he calls Tunnel Vision, he, calls, he likes to have multiple points. But for yes. the most part, he can he can get it across fairly quickly. He's learned to be succinct. Yes. He's not. This was not a voicemail where he was. I can't oh, no. play it because it was about three minutes long. But I'll <laughs> give you like a brief summary. He... Uh, Dan, you're lucky you weren't part of this. He was not happy with Keely and I uh, with our interview with Mike Bone. Did not like it. He wanted more tough questions. And he said, so so what if he hangs up on you? What what harm would come? He wanted us to be basically mean to Mike Bone so to the point where he would hang up on us and be mad. So he was disappointed and upset with what we did. D plus, maybe C minus. Maybe C minus. Yeah, so we're, we're on the, the upper end. Mm. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's funny. It there was definitely going to be a balancing act. I think yeah. for the most part, people liked it. I mean, you want to be uh, professional, but also try to get the tougher questions across. And I thought we did a pretty good job of that. Sorry, Bobby, we weren't going to sit there yelling at him or anything. But that you know, we did what we could. We got him. We tried to get him to answer those questions. And you and I were adjusting on the fly. We had a Google Doc open, and we had other questions, and we were adjusting as feeling out how bone was he opened yeah. up more towards the latter half of the the podcast but we kind of had to open with the tough questions and that's always kind of hard to get someone to to open up with harder questions yeah and, and he the, clearly didn't want to talk about the clay decision right and so that we were going to follow up with the 11 day thing yeah. and it just didn't seem pre- I mean, it didn't it didn't see we, we wanted to have a good full interview and I don't think we want to leave something out that's really important, and that was important. But you could tell what he was saying that he didn't, he wasn't going to really answer. We weren't going to get a great answer there. But like, it helped maybe for Antonio Morales when he did the interview. He kind of skipped the first question we talked to, like why'd you keep Clay, and went right to the eleven day thing. So that was sort of a different way to uh, to bring it in there. And then I think the we were going to like dive deeper into Varsity Blue stuff, and he really wasn't. He couldn't uh, really comment on it. Yeah. So you know we. We did our best. Sorry, Bobby, if you didn't like it. We just tried to adjust on the fly and uh, and try to get the best questions out there and, and get you know the best answers is what's most important. The problem is that I, we're not supposed to be angry fans because we're not. Right. And so it's all about keeping a relationship because what happens if he hangs up the phone on us? 
we can we don't talk to him again what good right. does that do us or the listeners so and if he hangs up on us that means we probably did something unprofessional yeah like, and that's not, not ask him why why'd you keep clay helton like that's 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 a great you know it's a fine question but yeah he doesn't have to answer it if uh just for bobby uh his benefit if he comes out of that interview mad about something uh, that Mike Bone didn't answer to his, you know, whatever, or he didn't like the answer. That's a good interview. You gave Bobby a reason to not like something uh, that he heard in that interview. I mean, the bad interview is the one where you come away with no reaction at all. Like, yeah, so what? Uh, so uh, your job, you're not an adversarial. This is not, an, you know, a deposition. Uh, I mean, you're the adversarial attorney. You know, your job is to, uh, you know, Mike has agreed to come on and talk, which is something uh, pretty much unprecedented for the last, you know, the previous three athletic directors, uh, you know, before I, Pat would have us in at times for off the record sessions or whatever. And then those pretty much stop. Uh, but, uh, but so that was kind of, that was different. And Mike's, you know, operating under the gun a little bit because of the Clay decision. Uh, but the fact that Antonio for the Athletic got to ask that question about, he didn't get any better answer than you did. I mean, it was pretty much the same answer. He's not talking about that, you know. Uh, so it, it, it almost doesn't matter. You know he's not talking about it. But the fact that he's saying, I'm not talking about that, tells you something. Because he was willing to talk about all these other things, the fact that he won't talk about that tells you that's uh, the the decision about Clay is in a whole different category from the rest of them. So you can kind of fill in your own answer there. I mean, he's he's allowing you to do that by not by not answering, and I think most of us can fill in our own answer that you know that wasn't Mike's call uh, ultimately. I mean, I think. You know, how else can you look at that? Uh, if that was his call, he could have told you exactly how, you know, he made that call. He, I mean, when he can be going into great detail about the other hires and, and the philosophy going forward and how they're going to try to do things. And then when you talk about the Clay uh, rehiring or, uh, you know, retaining uh, and he says, I got nothing to say. I think that's an answer. I think that's a pretty good answer. Uh, it wasn't his his uh, decision. I guess that's a good point. Like, so if someone was asking me, like, why did like I so I don't know, do a food analogy? <laughs> um, this is probably not going to be very good. But well, I'll just I'm just trying to. Come, I'm trying to. It's the point is like if someone asked me, hey, why did you make uh, a filet mignon like for you know your wife or whatever it is? Why why did sure. that? I love filet mignon. You know, like I, I would tell you why because filet mignon is like my favorite cut of meat or whatever it is. Like I would be telling you all the reasons why, not like, can we move on? I don't want to talk about the filet mignon anymore. I don't hear Mike Bone going, Clay Helton is the man that's going to, you know, he's going to be the greatest coach in college football. Like he's not saying anything like that. If so, you're proud of your decision, you're more willing to defend it. I would say, yeah. That's, <coughs> I yeah, mean, that's what he, he says is, uh, well, we've given him everything he needs to, and he knows what our standards or, you know, what our expectations are. And we've given him everything to be successful. That's, those are his answers. Yeah. I mean, those are not exactly, he's the guy. I mean, I don't, 
he, you know, he's saying he, he could be the guy because we've given the guy, this guy, everything it's, that you possibly would need to be successful. Yeah. But he's not saying he is the guy. But if he's you just chose, he's, yeah, he's the guy that we're giving all this to. Yeah, if you chose instead of like serving that, you said I'm going to serve mackerel for dinner. Like, well, why are you serving that for dinner? Like, well, I got these great mashed potatoes to go with it. I have some awesome Brussels sprouts I made with bacon, and uh, and uh, you know the silverware is brand new. It's awesome, and I have this great wine to pair with it. And you're saying everything else except the mackerel. You're like, well, you still serve mackerel, you know, but you're kind of talking about everything around it. If you really love the dinner, you'd to be talking about the mackerel. Maybe that's a better analogy. Yeah, I think that one. Yeah, works. I mean, you'd be saying something <laughs> like, "We think he's Dabo Swinney, uh, you know, reincarnated. He had a right. couple of rough years, or he's John McKay." But boom! But they're not really saying that. They're saying no. everything's in place. You know, we got the players. You know, we got the support staff. That's what they're saying. They're not saying this is our guy necessarily. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I, I know the fans don't want to hear that kind of stuff, but I, I think that is a good point of reading into the answers. There's one thing to be saying, I'm defending that, like, he's the greatest coach ever. You just don't realize. Dabble Sweeney was an interim head coach and look at him winning championships. Yeah. He's not saying that. So, yep. you know, I guess you could take what, take what you want out of that. Yep. Indeed. Let's go to an email from Gregory from the OC. He says, Dan, in his Purcell podcast interview, Mike Bone stated that all options are on the table to enhance USC's media rights income. I'm assuming USC will be reviewing the Nike deal, too. What are the possible options that the athletic department could be analyzing? Thanks for all you do. Greg from the OC. Or Gregory, sorry. Yeah, Greg. Again, I don't know that we've gotten a chance to, you know, and they've gotten a chance to talk about all the options. I mean, I think we know what the options are, but then we've been paying attention to the Pac-12 for the last decade, for God's sakes, uh, under Larry Scott, even before, and how you know badly uh, you know the Pac-12 has handled most media opportunities. So, uh, uh, you know, for USC, does that mean we're going to be USC again? We're going to be a national contender, a blue butt program, and we're going to be good enough that. Uh, in the very near future, that we're going to be able to, to decide our own uh, our own future. You know, do, does that at the top end mean you go out like Notre Dame did, and you uh, partner up uh, with a with a TV network, and then half partner with a with a conference like Notre Dame's got you know their own TV deal with NBC, and then they've got their half membership basically in football, and then for all the other sports in the ACC. Could USC put that together? Hey, when Pete was here, yeah, USC could have done that, could have done anything they wanted. If USC gets back to that place, could they do it? Absolutely. Could USC exert more pressure, for example, on the Pac-12 and say, look, we're going to play an eight-game schedule, uh, four at home, four on the road. We want more ability to have – uh, seven home games uh, a number of years. We're playing Notre Dame every year. Uh, we need that. And we don't need to be playing five Pac-12 road games every other year. And just because the rest of the Pac-12 wants to have access to the L.A. market, you know, for their alumni and for their recruiting and all of that, that doesn't do us any good. So 
USC's got to be in a position of strength to be able to dictate to the Pac-12, this is how you're going to start doing things. And USC's been almost not a a player at all in terms of the Pac-12. I mean, they they don't pay attention to USC, and USC just pretty much goes along. And that can't still happen. Now, does USC say, look, we don't have to stay in the Pac-12? Uh, you know the 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 big uh, you know Big Twelve would probably love to get a foothold in LA, and maybe if we took uh, Arizona State with us, they'd get two of the top uh, five or six media markets in the country for the Big Twelve, where the teams are already making uh, significantly more money uh, than uh, the Pac-12 teams, and that's without having uh, you know a, a, a championship game for years and without having uh, their own uh, TV network. And so, you know, I think there are those kinds of opportunities. Do you say, you know, we'll, we'll take our ball and go somewhere else. Uh, I don't know that we know to what extent Mike could feel comfortable doing that. I think that the athletic director at USC is going to have to feel comfortable uh, about telling the Pac-12 what has to happen and not not asking and not begging, uh, you know, for permission, uh, because USC can't be in a place where uh, Northwestern is getting $20 million more a year, or Rutgers is getting $20 million more a year, uh, you know, from the conference TV uh, contract. I mean, that's just, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, so I think USC has to get out ahead of this. Hopefully those are things that are on the table and you let the Pac-12 know that. And I don't know that it would be wrong for USC to, have some sort of outreach to the Big 12 to see what could we do? What kind of opportunities if, uh, if say, USC and uh, Arizona State went to the Big 12? What would that mean for, for USC financially? Uh, and uh, you know, I, just, I think they need to explore all the options. And saying all the options are on the table, at least they said that in the past. Again, you know, I used to always say the problem with USC is not to, not only do they not have the answers, they don't have they don't know what the questions are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you say all the options are on the table, that's at least something. Uh, now we don't know the specifics of those options and what you, USC would do about them or could do about them, but just saying that is a step forward. Yeah. But again, we don't know the. The detail, you know, there's the devil is in the details with uh, with statements like that. But uh, I mean, everybody in the Pac-12 has to be panicking right now. I mean, it's just, yeah. uh, the, you know, well, where this a, is going is so bad for the Pac-12. Dan, I was a little shocked. So I we did the interview and I, that was one of the more interesting parts to me mm-hmm. because you would have never seen or heard Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan even, you know, mention that they would look, explore options that wouldn't just be go along. They've just been in lockstep with whatever the conference was. They've never led a program before. Mike Bone came in and he looks at, he's like, this is a problem. We're the LA market. We're, we play Notre Dame every year. You know what that does for our conference? You know, every other year, that's a huge boost to, you know, he knows that that's the biggest game that the conference has every other year. No, you know, bar none that they have the huge media market. And that the cost of living in Los Angeles is way higher than it is in Pullman, Washington. So it's not even that they get an even share. It's that you're at a disadvantage because Pullman can do a lot more with their distribution than what the Los Angeles market can. So the fact that he came in and understood it 
that showed me something. And I was a little shocked. Like I put the story up like specifically just with those comments this morning. And there's just not, there's a lot of like negative stuff. And I get USC isn't the USC of the Pete Carroll era right now, but they're that close. They can be there just with one good hire. They still have the biggest brand. It's still the LA market. They would still be appealing if the big 12 came calling or if NBC said, let's partner you with Notre Dame and we'll put two games that like, I think that would still work. Um, but I don't know. I, the fact that he's actually exploring this or would actually take that into consideration is huge. And we've said this for years, Dan, that USC at least has to open themselves up to that opportunity. If, if Larry Scott thinks that USC could potentially leave, do you think they're going to bring something different to the table than if they're just going to, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They have an incompetent athletic director. They'll just go along with what we say. I don't think that's the case anymore. So now you're going to get the Pac-12's attention. And whatever happens, just him mentioning that to me, when the 2024 you know deal comes around, USC is going to be in a much better spot than where they are now. Yeah, I think USC should push the uh, eight-game schedule. I mean, that's not, I love I love that. That's a great idea. They just push that. Start that. Start with that. And what's the, you know, if you're you have no leverage and you're not going to leave and you're going to follow the majority no matter what, you have no opportunity whatsoever to get an eight-game schedule in the Pac-12 because it doesn't benefit those other schools, and so they don't care. They're going to go for the nine game because they want to be in L.A. more. But if you now, if their choice is, but if we get that, USC might leave, and we might not get to go into U.S. We, we only get to go into L.A. half as much. Is give them, a, you know, some consequences. It's it's there are have been no consequences for the rest of the Pac-12 to take advantage of USC and L.A. and all of that. Give them some consequences. If there's a chance that USC might make a move, that makes a whole different discussion. Uh, than any of the ones, I don't even know they've had any discussions. That USC will say things like, well, we wish we didn't have, you know, uh, had more control of our schedule. But the answer was not to say, to say for USC to say, we need seven home games. The answer was not to schedule UC Davis. The answer was to go to the Pac-12 and say, go to eight games so we've got a free game uh, that we can schedule at home every year. That's the answer not scheduling UC Davis. USC, again, you know, got the wrong answer to the, you know, they were asking the wrong question. Yeah. So we received multiple questions about the free tuition as well, of the oh, news that yeah. came out. Um, from our buddy Dan, class of 1962, he says, Hi, Dan, Ryan, and Keeley. Well, we finally have some good news from President Folt. Her announcement that USC students whose families earn less than 80000 per year will receive free tuition should finally help the scholarship limitations on baseball, track, and field, and swimming. This is exactly what Stanford has done to help their students. This should also help football and basketball with walk-on scholarships as well. Great to see money spent on students so that they can get a great education at USC regardless of family income. When <laughs> This is crazy. When I attended USC... The cost was five hundred dollars per semester for fourteen to eighteen units. Oh my goodness! Wow. Uh, he says it's more now. It's it's more, Keely. It's it's a little bit more. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, President Fult. Find on Dan from class of nineteen sixty two, and then we got an email from our buddy Stephen Poway, and also Franklin, class of ninety six, MPA Trojan on the P, and they both wanted to know: uh, Could this new free tuition po- policy help uh, get more walk ons and whatnot on uh, not only the football team but other U.S. Sports. Well, I mean, I think 
just the declaring that it's the complete uh, university-wide policy so that <clears throat> it, it's not like uh, uh, in most cases or in some cases or whatever – uh, I think it was a genius PR move. I don't think I don't know that there was any news uh, uh, outlet nationally that didn't cover it, write about it. It was on the crawls on places like CNN and ESPN and you know Fox and wherever you saw it. Every you know, it, so it was a genius move in terms of PR of it. I know there are people who say <clears throat> it doesn't change things all that much for for students who are eighty thousand families with eighty thousand dollars income or, or less a year, uh, because they would mostly get um, uh, you know get enough aid to pretty much make up for the uh, the tuition part. But I think the fact that you declare it uh, totally student body wise allows you then to. Uh, recruit kids for baseball and and and, and, and track and field and those sports where you just don't have the numbers now uh, as a policy. Uh, you know, if it's not a student body complete U university policy, you can't promise that to those kids who you're trying to get to be on the baseball team or the you know track and field team or whatever, uh, because then it has to be considered athletic aid. But if it's a university wide policy. Everybody coming in, athlete or not, gets it if they're at that certain uh, income level. So I think that helps you change kind of the way you're you're looking at recruiting. Uh, will it help, you know, walk-ons in football? I mean, I don't know that the numbers, you can't go higher than, you know, the numbers that, that they'll allow you, 105, I guess, until, uh, you know, the first game. And then you can have, you know, more uh you know on the roster but uh, but it might help you you know in certain cases where you can go after certain kids and, and you can promise them that okay here's what's gonna here's what it's gonna cost you uh to come to usc and, and basically if you're in that eighty thousand and, and you know less income uh for families uh you'll only have to pay room and board let's say i think it really could help like baseball and track and field. I think it helped them a lot. Uh, but uh, I mean, it just was a wonderfully smart PR move in terms of where USC has been in, you know, nationally, kind of on a def in a defensive posture for uh, the last couple of years. Uh, it looked really good, I think. And it was it was a genius move. We'll see how it plays out, but it, it's going to give them some opportunities that they didn't have. Yeah, we're still trying to figure this out, um, all of it. But I, I agree with you, Dan. Now, it doesn't cover like room and board. There was, I think there was an article in Yahoo talking about that. And a lot of the stuff you would get aid. So if, say, your family made 75 grand a year, maybe you, you, know, you get a lot of it paid for tuition, but you still have $5,000 in loans a, a semester. It's like yeah. those loans wouldn't be there anymore. And what we've seen, and I try to talk to people that they think it's going to help the walk on program just because. You know, you still have to pay for school if you're walking on. Um, and, you know, if your family doesn't have to pay for school, that, that makes it easier. It doesn't help with admissions, but it helps with, um, you know, being able to, hey, I, could, I can't walk on at USC. I can't afford it. That kind of goes away. And we've seen this work for Stanford. They have that huge endowment. I think they're, they might have like 100000 or less, like they, everything's paid for or the tuition's paid for. And that helps, you know, baseball and all those other sports where if you have a headcount, 
sport. That means everybody, you know, is on a scholarship. Like that's fine. But if it's like these partial scholarship ones, like baseball, I think you only get like 11 and a half track. There's just not that many that helps at a place like Stanford when they, like Dan said, the entire student body can get their tuition paid for because of that huge endowment. Um, USC's endowment is nowhere near as big, but they you know, obviously are doing something to kind of make this work. So I, I think it definitely helps. Well, I think it also allows you to recruit to that. For example, now you would be recruiting, say, a kid uh, whose family is under the $80,000 mark, but uh, you still couldn't recruit to uh, you're going to have all your uh, tuition and fees and that paid uh, because you would have to go through, you know, um, student aid and you'd have to do the calculations. So you'd be recruiting them, but you couldn't necessarily promise it to them. Uh, that would be a decision to be made later. Whereas this way, you'd be able to, you know, flat out tell the kid, uh, you know, your family will qualify for this aid without having had to go through, you know, all of the, uh, you know, calculations that might take, uh, might be longer and, and, you know, to, to, to decide and might not be absolutely certain what you would get. This way, the coaches, I think, could basically tell kids, here's what you're going to get. If you get admitted, and, and, and this is the offer we're going to make you. And so then if you offer them, let's say, a half scholarship on top of uh, the basic aid package that they're going to get coming in, then you become more competitive, say, in baseball with a UCLA or a Cal Fullerton or whatever. And, and USC would need that. Stephen Poway wanted to know, just because the NCAA is so wonky, is there a possibility that those type of free tuition uh, students would actually have to count as a scholarship if they made the team? No, because that Stanford does that too. And and the, the point Dan brings up is interesting. If you're on a partial scholarship, do you get uh, like his room and board paid for? Like, I, I don't know the details of that. I'll have to find that out. But say the baseball team can give out a whole bunch of quarter scholarships uh, and then they get tuition the rest of their tuition paid for but they're also they get the training table they get all because they're a partial scholarship guy um and they you know maybe they get room and board paid for i don't know how that works that would be very interesting mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think that's one of the reasons that a vanderbilt a rice uh programs like that have been really competitive in baseball because they're in big you know cities and and with a lot of talent uh around them but they also have uh uh you know the ability because they have smaller student bodies, uh, it, it really has helped those schools because their endowment can take care of, you know, those kinds of you know, offers. But yeah, if you could offer a kid, you know, we're going to give you just a quarter scholarship, but that'll take care of, you know, all your, you know, all your meals or whatever. Um, that yeah. might be a game changer for USC uh, baseball and track and field. We got a text there, Shotgun. Shotgun would know that, I think. He yeah, would know all he about would that. Stuff. We should, uh, we, we'll, we'll try to find out. But that's, yeah, I don't think there's any NCAA thing, though, with that, though, because Stanford, I mean, there are schools that do that with their endowment, and Stanford's one of them. And it definitely helps. It's an expensive school to go to, but they give a lot of aid, and, you know, it lets a lot of athletes come in and, and play without scholarships. Mm-hmm. We have a question from Eric in Duck Country, and shouts to him. He always sends succinct, interesting questions. He says, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, since lackluster recruiting might lead to a lack of depth, could you see any players switching positions? Thanks, Eric in Duck Country. You know, I'd like to see – I mean, I've been saying this for a long time. I, my my guy, Palaia, uh, I think he's more suited to be an edge rusher 
than he is to be a middle linebacker. I'm just, I just think that to me, I look at him and I say, there's a guy coming in from the outside as a heat seeking missile and just, you know, coming one direction and just beating people because of his physical gifts. But, uh, but he's, he's on in this program, he's the first one uh, I look at and say, okay, I could see him going there. You know, there, there, there could well be a, a position change to, uh, to take the place of Austin Jackson. Uh, you know, whether that's, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, whoever, I don't know. Uh, and I do think I, I kind of favor uh, an offensive lineup. I, I would like USC to go in thinking we have five returning starters. But in order to do that, you got to get uh, Andrew Voice and, uh, and one of the two centers <clears throat> who both started last year uh, uh, considered as starters, which would mean one of the centers has to move. If you do that, you get five solid starting experience players on the offensive line. Now, you know, you might have a guy that's shorter than you, you might normally like at a, at a particular position with the two centers, but, uh, but that's, I would like to see that. That's the place I'd most like to see uh, some movement is in the offensive line and, oh. and with Pally EA. I think you're going to see some of that for sure. I mean, you, I, I don't think there's any question. There's going to be some movement just to get a left tackle out there. Probably Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, you get, like Dan said, you got a couple centers. I think Pallier will move from will to, to middle linebacker. I, those are kind of like, I mean, there, I think there'll be small moves like that. I'm not sure if there's going to be a Liam Jimmins switch from offense to defense thing. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of wide receiver depth. Could it be Brew McCoy? I was about to say. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I've always seen. Well, when I saw uh, Brew at Modern Day, he's played both sides, and so in my head, he's still a linebacker. So yeah. it would be fun to see Brew at linebacker, but we just got to see him on the field first. And, and Todd Orlando is a linebackers guy, mm-hmm. and I feel like Clancy Pendergast defense for whatever reason, even though they had two linebacker coaches, that just it wasn't like a featured position there. No, and I think yeah. it will be now. Yeah. And if he has an opportunity, like, hey, Brew's not like fifth string like let's bring him in or something i don't think he'll be fifth string well i mean he might be number five or six on the and they were only playing like three or four guys last year so they got all these tight ends i don't know maybe that works you know i I, if they didn't have so many wide receivers i could see brew playing both ways actually i mean and, and obviously not much in the same game but just in the same season where you'd have a player that you could use both on both sides of the ball he looks like that classic kind of player that comes along really rarely and has to be special circumstances but uh you know for his own benefit maybe for the next level uh getting him some work on defense probably wouldn't be the worst idea uh you know at this point although again there are enough bodies uh you know in the secondary uh to get the job done but uh but uh, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind. You know, he could be. You know, a Dory uh, did it uh, a little bit, and uh, I think. Uh, I think I'd. Li- I'd kind of like to see him at least give him that opportunity. Yeah, it would be cool to see for sure. Yeah, um, we, we wanted it for so. There's been other. You know, like Juju. Juju we were thinking, like there's all these guys who are like, oh, come on. You know, we yeah. saw Dory, but 
That would be fun. That would be a good Definitely one. Definitely would be fun. Uh, so Bill and Mesa sent us an email that did, he did his research for sure. He said, hello, uscfootball.com staff, and thanks for all the great work you do. Question for Dan. Why is USC considered a blue blood of college football? I would offer that it's because USC was on the West Coast and was the best program on that coast. Location, location, location. USC is a team that has shown flashes of brilliance and stretches, some long, of mediocrity. It took 25 years, 79 to 03, for USC to win another national championship. The run that Pete's teams took uh, took us on were amazing. However, if history tells us anything, it's that a repeat run anytime soon is not likely. Since ni- uh, 1974, when I arrived at USC, 10 win seasons, there have been 16, are fairly rare. 7 to 9 win seasons, there have been 22, are more the norm. Fight on, Bill and Mesa. Yeah, I think it's a blue blood program for a, a few reasons. Uh, USC has the most NFL uh, draft picks ever. Uh, has the most first round uh, draft picks ever. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, Heisman Trophy winners, if you put Reggie's where it should be, they're, they're seven or tied, you know, for the most ever. Uh, USC was winning national championships in the 20s with, uh, you know, Coach uh, Howard Jones. So USC, you know, basically, uh, is, you know, has been there for, you know, 90 years. Had this, you know, magnificent place to play uh, from the 20s on uh, in the Coliseum, which was, you know, identified with so many other, you know, great sporting events. It's, uh, you know, a big, you know, and, and the Pac-12 in the West Coast hasn't hasn't been that great. So when USC faded uh, during those times you mentioned, it was kind of a, a fade that the, you know, the entire Pac-12. Uh, the entire West Coast, let me say it that way, uh, faded away. Uh, but when USC, and the, the thing about USC, if USC has a great coach, they will win national championships. If you're a great coach and you're at USC, you can win national championships. There aren't, that to me is what I think a Blue Blood program is. Uh, that you could do that if you have a great coach. You can, you can, and a great coaches can win pro, uh, national championships at programs like Clemson that weren't blue blood programs. They were in the next tier down or, or LSU even that was in the next tier down. But, you know, if you, if your school has won 11 national championships um, and, and, and done so from the twenties on uh, you're a blue blood program, I, I guess and compare that to say a Michigan, and maybe I think still has the most wins but was much stronger in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. Hasn't been, you know, they've got the biggest uh, stadium and the most attendance, but they haven't been winning national championships in a long, long time. They're still considered a blue blood program. Uh, you know, you can you can come and go a little bit. I think Florida State was almost on the verge maybe of being a blue blood program, or Miami was, but they're not. Uh but USC, they are. I mean, Ohio State is. Um, uh, obviously, Alabama is. Um, Notre Dame is. And they had their moments where they dropped out of the picture. But I think, you know, USC, those teams are in a little bit higher class than, say, uh, Texas and LSU and, and those programs that are, you know, they're fighting you know, for that spot. Uh, one that would be hard to classify, I think Oklahoma would be the other one that it belongs in the absolute top level for, you know, 
sustain uh, historic significance in college football. But uh, but USC is still there, and they're never far away. They're they're you know as as Ryan just said, they're one one higher away as they were with Pete Carroll, as they were with uh, John McKay, as they were with Howard Jones. Um, you got to get that right higher. Hey, Bill. Yeah, this is a horrible take. So who's going to go? Don't right be up. hating on Bill. Bill and Mesa, terrible take. Uh, should I give? I can give him a. Should I give him a? Uh, uh, what are you about sound to do? Sound effect. Okay, no, this is a good one. He did his dumb, research. He's didn't dumber, dumbest. <laughs> that was for the podcast of champions. Sorry, Bill. I know you did your research. It was a genuine question. Let me do a little research for you, Bill. First of all, and the sustained success is what we're talking about here. Because if you could win with the Howard Jones of the world. And then you could win with the John McKay's of the world. And then you could win, you know, with John Robinson and and obviously Pete Carroll and being that close USC has been incompetent as as an athletic department in general. And you need just a, a really good coach. You can get there. They won the Rose bowl a few years back after starting one and three only a blue blood program could do that. No one else could. And if you want to look at the Rose bowl, which is the granddaddy of them all, USC's been to the Rose Bowl 34 times. They've won 25 Rose Bowls. Michigan's been there 20 times. So they've won five more Rose Bowls than Michigan's been to. They've Michigan's won eight Rose Bowls. No one's run double digits. USC's won 25 Rose Bowls. So Ohio State, 15 appearances in the Rose Bowl. That's great. You think of them as a blue blood program. They've won eight. They're eight and seven in the Rose Bowl. So who, if USC's not a blue blood, who the hell is a blue blood? And maybe being on the West Coast and not having the dominance around them has helped. I think that, but that's part of the reason why they're blue blood because if they get their act together, nobody can stop them. And they just haven't had their act together. So they are a blue blood 100%, not even a question. So sorry, Bill. This is, this is my little rant on you. <laughs> I tried to shield him a little bit. Yeah. But thank you for the genuine question. We don't we don't want to uh, dis- discourage learning. People can learn on the podcast. Right. I hope he just learned. <laughs> right. That's called the school. I mean, let's face it. Had USC hired Urban Meyer, would they be considered a blue blood right now? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Where were they? Yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, there aren't that many, and you can you know them when you see them. And USC is one of them, even though they've done a lot to shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, you know. Uh, people talk about politicians and they say the only thing that could stop them is themselves. And USC is that same way in terms of football programs. The only thing that can stop USC is USC. And they've done that pretty well. Frank in Sacramento sent us an email for Dan that says, what has changed with the NCAA? A dozen years ago, Pete Carroll was in trouble for having a special teams analyst on the payroll. Now teams have 20 analysts or more on staff and nobody gets in trouble. What gives? Frank in Sacramento. Well, part of that was it's, it was USC. I mean, they were looking for stuff, and there wasn't very much to find. So they, you know, they got USC for whatever they could get. I still I'm reminded by uh, a fellow who uh, was coaching at Michigan. Gosh, what was his? I can't think. It was uh, Robinson, Coach Robinson, who was um, at, uh, at at UCLA, a UCLA guy, and he went to Michigan with. Uh, um, Coach Rich Rod, Rich Rodriguez, who went from West Virginia to Michigan, and he tells the story that they wanted to really ramp things up at Michigan. So they went to Alabama and they studied 
everything that Nick Saban was doing at Alabama from, you know, weight program, off season program, uh, conditioning, everything that is spring practice, all of that summer workouts. And they initiated that at Michigan. And on year one, the NCAA came knocking on their door and saying, you can't do that. You're under, uh, we've got all these allegations about you're doing this, you're doing that. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. So they go to the hearing and they said, look, all we're doing is exactly what Alabama is doing. And they were basically told, but you can't do that. Alabama can, but you're Michigan. You're not allowed to do that. And that's how the NCAA works too often, unfortunately. And uh, USC is probably the the number one uh, example of, uh, you know, it, it's not what you do, it's who you are. And uh, they wanted to take USC down for all the reasons that USC under Pete Carroll had them scared to death. And they did. It was that simple. So, you know, the NCAA does what they want to do. And uh, as we've seen in the Todd McNair case, they can justify pretty much anything they want to do. But they're up against it now with some of the legal decisions that have been made in terms of, you know, kids, you know, getting some sort of, uh, you know, pay for for play and all of that. Uh, the, The legal and and uh, the legislative, uh, a number of states are starting to pass laws about that. And the NCA knows the log is, you know, the logs are rolling the other direction and they better get out of the way. Uh, so I think they'll try to stall as much as they can. But uh, I think they know the inevitable is coming and, and they're just going to try to hold on as long as they can, because, uh, you know, if they want to fight it. They're just going to get beat and it's going to get taken away from them, the ability to do anything. So uh, they're just holding on as as long as they can, but uh, they know what's coming. So we have a lot of questions left. I'm declaring that we go into rapid fire mode. Rapid fire mode. All right, let's do it. Christian from Duck Country said, did USC replace the food and nutrition coach? Uh, She left. She went to the Seattle uh, Seahawks, actually, as, as I recall. And they do have a new one whose name escapes me, but we're not hearing any uh, any any complaints, uh, are we, uh, Ryan? I, I haven't think heard. So. We, I think when we had Aaron Osmus on Tunnel Vision, he said that they're still hadn't we're hired. We're still trying to figure. Yeah, it out. so I think they've hired one since then, but I haven't really heard anything about it. So, but we'll try to find out. Yeah, we should look into that. We'll give Aaron credit for he's pushing that. You know how you how you have to eat. So I think there's a different vibe about the. Uh, the nutrition program at USC now. He's got a lot more steak on that grill than mackerel. I can tell you that. Yes. True. <laughs> Steven in Culver city said, Hey Ryan, when do you think you will present your first emergency podcast during the 2020 season? It's hard to predict. Like it wouldn't be an emergency if you could predict it. Um, I mean, you can probably game one. Okay. If USC gets like absolutely shellacked game one against Alabama, is that worth an emergency? Podcast? Oh yeah. No, no. I think that would be, uh, yep. it, it could be like, Week three of spring football, like the first full pads practice, if they're like, you oh, know, no. they're not like, even touching each other, then be like, that could be an emergency podcast. <laughs> emergency podcast, they're not touching each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if there's like a major injury or something. Yeah, right? like if something happens to Keaton Slovis, if uh, Graham Harrell like goes, leaves for some other job, like they, his name came up for the Colorado job. Mm-hmm. They end up hiring Carl Durrell. So that's a, that's a win for everybody all Damn. around. I don't know, but well, not for Colorado, unfortunately, but. I don't know who knows. Oh, hopefully, I mean, he seems like Shady. a nice guy. I just, 
Yeah, that just seems like the weirdest freaking hire ever. So we have a question. It, 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 actually, I covered when I started. I was covering both USC and UCLA football, and uh, when they hired Cardarell, it was like, what's US UCLA people didn't know why they and he was a UCLA player, and uh, it, it just you know it, it it doesn't make any sense at all, and they're paying him, you know, more than. I think they're paying him as much as Clay's getting, but they're paying him way more than they were paying Mel Tucker. And he's coming, you know, as an, from an, the Dolphins as an assistant with a you know, track record. It just it makes no sense. Speaking of Colorado and Graham Harrell, we have a question about that from Steve in Poway, who says, Dear Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, regarding Graham Harrell once again, according to Bruce Feldman, who is about 100% accurate 100% of the time, he's apparently being sought after as a head coach, co- a head coaching candidate this time at CU, at some point, isn't Mike Bone going to realize that this is truly a house of cards? Because when the great assistants leave, he's left with a very mediocre head coach. So, given that he's adopted this crazy strategy, doesn't Bone absolutely have to throw a lot more money at Harold to keep him here for at least another season? Your thoughts? Also, should S- should SC be grooming Harold as their next head coach? Steve in Poway. Yeah, I mean, Steve, they're giving him more money, and they're, you know, he's got a three-year deal, and I would think that they would, you know, uh, put more up if they if they needed to at this point, and and I would think they've got something worked out <clears throat> if they need an interim or or what have you. I, I think there was more to it uh, with Graham not following up almost at all on on the offers that were coming his way. I think there's. I think there are some things, uh, you know, going on with Graham that uh, that they you understand what what could happen. I think they do, too. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, so uh, I do think that's where this, you know, with Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna, I think that's where they're able to to see down the road and and be able to uh, do some things to head head some potential issues off. But, yeah, you're right. If if he leaves and. Now what do you do? And if you're if you're so dependent on your assistant coaches, especially your coordinators, what do you do if your coordinators do the job you think they're going to do and they have offers? What do you do if that's the focus of your coaching as, and not on your head coach? And, and it's hard. I, I remember um, uh, Bobby Bowden at Florida State when all his coordinators ended up getting really good jobs and leaving he was just not able to replace them and and maybe that wasn't just on Bobby Bowden maybe they you know some of these guys are kind of unique talents but uh, I think that's the hardest thing to do uh, to keep a program rolling is to replace those really top assistants I mean it's even it's obviously hitting Alabama uh, and they've had an almost complete turnover in their coaching staff, and then they lost the one guy who's been with uh, Saban since 2007 when he got to Alabama, their weight uh, and strength and conditioning coach, who uh, Georgia just hired him away, and they did it by offering him a field coaching position. And uh, nobody ever thought you know, Nick Saban could possibly lose maybe the most valuable coach he's got on his staff and lose it to George, lose him to Georgia. That's uh, so that's a challenge. I think uh, Steve for everybody. If I can make an angels analogy, it's kind of like the 2002 angels Ooh. with their assistant coaches. 
They not, lost their yeah. Yeah, they lost all of them, and then they were kind of mediocre after that. But there's I I got to cover that too, and I was covering the Angels in the summer while I was covering college football, and and what you kept thinking was. What Mike Sosha's got here is a college football type coaching staff because he had, you know, how many of them? Four of them have gone on to become managers Mm -hmm. and uh, really interesting, smart guys that just had them, you know, everywhere you looked in that Angels clubhouse, they had uh, smart, smart assistants. And it may be just there weren't people comparable that you could go hire. But the difference in the Angels when they had those guys, you know, Ron Renneke, Joe, uh, Joe Madden and all that that group, mm-hmm. once they were gone, um, there, it, it didn't seem like the same place. Yep, exactly. So I actually missed some Clay Helton questions. Uh, one of them is from our buddy Curtis in Marino Valley, who also was kind of on the Bobby team. Wasn't very pleased with our uh, Mike Bone interview. I don't think he liked our – he made some comments for the Harvey Hyde one. He didn't like how, what we said afterwards. Well, here we go. Okay. He said, after the Mike Bone interview, it was hard to believe you guys still found a way to undercut Clay Helton's role in bringing in the new coaches slash, slash coordinators. Bone repeatedly, all caps, said all credit must go to Clay Helton for attracting these coaches and coordinators. Yet one minute later, you two hypothesized that Clay was given the ideas on who he should go after. Mike Bone did not tell you that. Have you forgotten Cliff Kingsbury? There were no there was no Mike Bone at that time. Maybe you want to give Lynn Swan credit for that and Graham and the Graham Harrell hire higher. Not. Maybe Clay wants us to be a tougher team and hit in practice. Why would he quote unquote attract these violent coaches unless he wanted to get tough and brought in the right coaches with the AD working out contracts, buyouts, and the like. Stop taking credit away from Clay Helton and these hires and let's talk Alabama. We can beat them, you know. Curtis from Marino Valley. Curtis. Okay, Mike Bone didn't tell me that, but other people did. No, that's our job. Like, it's a. Do you see how the hires are completely different now? And and Mike Bone's going to say what he needs to say, but he did say it was a collaborative effort before it was not. So he's involved in these hires where the last ads were not. So it he's definitely said that we're not taking all credit away from Clay Helton, but Mike Bone. If if Mike Bone wasn't the ad. I don't think Todd Orlando's the DC. I think it's more like Joe Barry. And I I just that's what I feel. And if it was up to it was up to Clay, uh John Baxter and, and Clancy Pendergrass would still be the coordinator. Very good point. I don't think yeah. there's any question. I mean, uh, uh, you know, part of the decision making process is yes, you are going to change at these spots. And then, you know, you get clay involved and, and all of that. But uh, I, I don't think the decision of, of what was going to happen to all the coaches who are no longer here originated with clay. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think it was a tough deal for the guys on defense, you know, coach, uh, you know, uh, Burns and, and Ch- coach K. Uh, I think they could, could be really good coaches, but if, you know, if the defense is just, not together and, and doesn't really understand what it what they want them to do and how they want them to win football games. And then if they don't get to practice, you know, in any way resembling uh, game conditions, it's really hard to be ready to end if you don't ever tackle. It's really hard to be ready to play when Saturday comes around. So, you know, that, you know, the coaches paid that price, but, uh, uh, there had to be a change at the at the top on defense and at the top on, on special teams, and uh, I think that was where the first call was made on the new staff. 
Uh, that just doesn't seem like, I mean, I'll give Clay a credit for the offensive thing. I think he, by the end of uh, two seasons ago, he, he realized they had the talent and the manpower and the West coast, uh, recruiting opportunities to throw the ball a lot more effectively than they did. And they came out and then JT Daniels last game as a freshman against Notre Dame and threw the heck out of it and kind of made it up as they went, you know, that week in practice. And, uh, you know, had a real opportunity without some turnovers uh, against a really good Notre Dame team. And uh, I think Clay kind of followed that up himself, uh, I, I think. And, and, and Cliff Kingsbury was the obvious available choice who, uh, you know, wanted to showcase himself after getting let go at, at Texas Tech. And, you know, it worked for him. And he ended up getting an NFL job out of it. But Clay, you know, they stuck with it. And they were able to get, uh, you know, Graham Harrell. So I think, uh, I think, and we gave, you know, Clay credit for that. And uh, yet these hires, when they come in talking a completely different approach to football than Clay's approach, you can make the, you know, you just say, boy, this doesn't seem like a Clay Helton hire. And I don't think that's wrong to say that because it, it was, they weren't. They aren't, and we haven't had anybody talk about how they're going to change what they do, but uh, it almost doesn't seem possible to bring those guys in and, and keep practicing the way USC's been practicing under Clay. Sir Eric Troy sent us a text kind of in, rela- in relation to what we were just talking about. He says, hello, podcast crew. Since Ryan is always looking for analogies to better explain his thoughts about things, I thought I would give you my analogy on the new assistant coaching staff and whether or not we should all of a sudden be excited. Okay, if this team was a race car in the Indy 500, we can say that we upgraded the engine with Graham Harrell's offense, redid the brakes with Todd Orlando as defensive coordinator, and installed some new bells and whistles with Sean Snyder as special teams coordinator. We can even say that we'll be getting some new sponsors with Dante Williams talking us up around town. The problem is, Clay Helton is still the driver, and as long as he wants to drive this car around practice laps like the... Drive this car around uh, practice laps like the little old lady from Pasadena. We're not going to outrun the elite cars on the track. So I'm stuck in the prove me wrong mode about this new staff. Sir Eric of Troy. I mean, what else can you say? I mean, I, I, uh, I like the Indy 500 analogy there. You know, you you, you got to get up to speed. And this is a team that hasn't hasn't played up to speed and a program that hasn't played up to speed. And, you know, how does that happen? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's possible, but you know, you've only got one driver, you know, and, uh, uh, you got to push the pedal to the floor and, uh, we haven't been doing that. Yeah. Ed in the Bay Area was uh, had a different opinion about our Mike Bone pod. He said, Keely, Ryan, and Dan, well, I'm still not happy about Clay Hilton still being the head coach, but that was probably not his call to begin with. That said, Mike Bone has been hitting some singles. I have given him credit for canceling the UC Davis game. He hasn't won me over since we'll probably have Hilton as our head coach for two to four more years, but I no longer hate him. Fight on, <laughs> Ed in the Bay Area. Well, we accomplished one thing. Ed doesn't hate the athletic director anymore. So well, there we go. I'm glad we could bring that uh, to him. You may not hate him now, but if Clay's the head coach for two to four more years, you might. I don't know. Uh, and uh, yeah, maybe that means everything will be going. They'll have figured out a formula to let the coordinators be the, you know, the driving force in the program. I don't know. But, uh, 
we'll see. But yeah. Two to four years, that'd be amazing. What's the end game? If there is a national championship on the table in two to four years, but Clay Helton's at the helm, would USC fans still be hating Clay Helton? Where where does this where does the line get drawn? No, no. I mean, if they beat Alabama, they won't hate him. I mean, uh, they've got to have they've got to get the recruiting back together. That was such a uh, uh, just a terrible. I mean, everybody that had anything to do with recruiting ought to get docked uh, in their pay. I would think because that was that was not a full scale effort, and that was on Clay. Um, he allowed coaches top coaches on his staff not to be really invested in recruiting and uh it showed and so i mean he's got to i think he's got to prove it there he's got to prove it uh you know they've got to aggressively go after alabama instead of trying to hang in there um and so you know we'll see you got to prepare way better for alabama than you did for iowa you know and and the, the same person has the ability to to make those decisions. And, um, does he get that right? I mean, if he gets Alabama right, uh, you know, you've got enough time to get Alabama, right. You've got enough help to get Alabama, right. But do you have it in you, um, to do that? And so far it doesn't look like it, but you know, we'll, we'll see how this all, uh, you know, works together. It's almost impossible to imagine, uh, a team with a head coach who's not on the same wavelength as all the new uh, coaching hires, but um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't come up with an example of how that works. I, I, I trying to look at all of college football. I'm not ever. I'm not sure that I've ever seen one of those. I mean, I think Miami did it. With um, gosh, I can't even think of the guy's name. Where he uh, came into the, he was an assistant, longtime assistant who got the head coaching job, and they went on to win a national championship, and then just kind of faded, and he ended up at West Virginia or somewhere. And I can't even think of the guy's name. But other than that, I, I can't think of a, a time where this has worked, uh, or a place where where it's worked the way it would have to work at USC. We have a couple more questions. Uh, this one from Jimmy Mack, class of 2012. He says, Hi all, Dennis Dodd of CBS wrote a defense of Clay Helton this week that seemed to lack much in the way of substance. His main argument for Clay retaining the job seemed to, seemed to be that he came into work on signing day after getting a root canal. Dot, dot, dot. You guys seem... You guys see the same disconnect between the national media and the reality of Helton slash USC football situation as I do. Oh, it was a question mark. Sorry. I don't expect them to call for his job, but I do expect them to at least acknowledge the real problems that have plagued the program for the past four years, despite Clay's character, morals, etc., uh, that they all keep referencing. Of course, Clay is a nice guy, but that's not uh, justification enough for him to be retained as a coach. Is the problem that they simply don't watch USC football enough anymore to know the reality of the situation? Those of us who watch USC football week in and week out know that there are deeply rooted issues that begin and end with Clay Hilton's inability to make adjustments and tough decisions. Thanks for taking the question. Love the show. Fight on. Jimmy Mack, class of 2012. Yeah, I, I think it kind of answered your own question. I, I, I think they like Clay because he's nice and he isn't a punk and he's and they don't deal with him on a lot of big games anymore because USC doesn't have a lot of big games anymore and they do play you know on the Pac-12 network occasionally where nobody sees them uh and so the focus isn't exactly on 
on USC uh, all that much. So, you know, a game comes along like Iowa and the Holiday Bowl, and it's kind of, you know, it, 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 it's unsettling, uh, although that didn't really seem to make it into Dennis Dodd's comment. And, and I know we, we like Dennis Dodd a lot. Uh, and that one seemed to be, you know, I guess you have hits and misses uh, if you're a columnist. And that was a miss. I mean, uh, that didn't go anywhere near where some sort of analysis of USC football right now and, and, and Coach Clay Helton should have gone. Uh, I'm not sure what was going on with Dennis there. He's usually a lot more sharp-eyed and uh, you know, and critical think and, and a critical thinker. And that column pretty much didn't have any of that. Uh, and you know, it just said you know, Clay is what he is, and uh, you just it was written from the point of view of of you know the 35,000 feet flyover where you're not paying any attention to any of the specifics about the USC program. And, and I thought it was a real miss. And, uh, and I think most of the national guys like Clay. They don't want to say anything bad because they don't pay enough attention to USC. And then they move on. And it's not very analytical. Yeah. We have a question from Rick. Uh, from La Mirada, who says, we never thought we would have it, and maybe it's just my opinion, but I sense a quarterback controversy. Will one bounce if he loses the starting job? Daniels was highly touted and lost to a kid from injury. Do you see a problem ahead or think it works? Love the show. God bless Keeley's patience. Yeah. <laughs> Rick from La Mirada. Exactly. Uh, I think it works. Uh, I think, uh, obviously, Keaton is a holdover, uh, and he's going to we think he's healthy. We think that arm is okay, but uh, but JT won't be all the way back. Although like you keep hearing, he's got remarkable progress in his rehab. But for the spring, if he's back for the spring in any meaningful way, and I don't mean actually scrimmaging or anything, but able to really move around and throw the ball and all that, uh, and then is healthy through the summer. That that changes things. But if he's just kind of getting back for fall practice where he can do most everything uh, but and not be limited, but you couldn't expect that kind of a challenge. And I think he will make Keaton better. And I think you can't have any more, uh, uh, you know, good good of a situation in an air raid offense when you've got two starting quarterbacks and Matt Fink, you actually got three, you got a guy that beat, you know, beat Utah last year. So you've got three starting quarterbacks. Uh, that's about as much insurance as you could possibly have. I like JT's, you know, attitude. I'm going to come back and I'm going to beat him out. Uh, that doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that. I, I love that, that sort of, uh, you know, attitude by him. So I, I see some positive things about it. Uh, I think you could make it work, uh, work positively. And you would know going into every game, you've got two starting quarterbacks for sure that you don't have to change anything when, uh, you know, somebody's injured or, or whatever. Uh, I think it, it really gives you a, you know, a sense of, um, we can get this done if we're USC, if we're thinking, how do, how do we No, Very seldom uh, does a team that's as, as, as dependent on throwing the ball have two guys that can throw it that are both starters. Uh, so I think, uh, I think very positive. 
We have one final question, and it's from Dan, class of 1962, who says, Hi, Keely, Dan, and Ryan. I've always heard that catchers make the best baseball managers because they essentially run the game of defense on the field. They could then hire a hitting coach to work with the offense. I think that is the same for football coaching. A head coach who comes from the defensive side of the ball, like Pete Carroll, bring a certain toughness and discipline to the job, while offensive-minded coaches tend to be softer. Do offensive coordinators who were former QBs have the yellow jersey, don't hit me in practice mindset? At USC, Howard Jones and John McKay were two-way players, so they understood defensive, uh, the defense and toughness. Pete Carroll had the same defensive toughness as well. John Robinson was offensive-minded, but he had Marv Gu, who personified ter- Trojan toughness from the John McKay staff. On the other hand, hand, Ted Tolner, Hackett, Kiffin, Sark, and Helton were all offensive-minded. What are your thoughts on this theory? Therefore, I would have Orlando as the interim and not Harrell. Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Okay, <laughs> we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here uh, in terms of uh, uh, arguing about who should be the interim coach <laughs> uh, between offense and defense. I do think, I like that that Pete thought like a defensive coach, but he loved, he thought he was a quarterback. If you went out there and watched practice every day, he's out there throwing the ball around. He, he's a, a defensive guy who wanted to be a quarterback. Uh, that might be the perfect way to, to do it is to have, you know, the defensive mindset, but have a guy that loved uh, the idea of, of quarterbacking and, and wanted to be one himself. Uh, so, so I like that. Yeah. I think it's harder for uh quarterbacks to become coaches because you know if you're the kind of quarterback that uh, uh, that you see most of those kids were star quarterbacks who who become coaches were star quarterbacks from the time they were playing peewee football and by the time they got to high school they never were allowed to hit anybody or be hit and same same way in college i just think it's really hard if you've been playing in a yellow jersey all of your football career, it's very hard to think about the game from a physical standpoint. It just doesn't seem to, you know, I mean, maybe Jim Harbaugh is one of those, you know, ex-quarterbacks who was just Mr. Tough Guy. Uh, But mostly uh, quarterbacks think about the game like quarterbacks. And when you've got a lot of them on your staff, I think that's a hard, that's a little difficult thing uh, to do is to be as physical as you have to be or realize how physical uh, football has to be. So I I tend to agree with uh, Dan there. Uh, I'm not sure necessarily when it comes to being the interim coach, it it matters that much between offense and defense. Uh, But but I think in general, I like the idea of having a guy that's been, been a physical football player uh, as a head coach. The one thing I would say, a smart guy told me this once, is that you don't want to go in and giving yourself limitations on anything. So you're going to make a decision. If Urban Meyer wanted the job and you're like, yeah, we really just wanted a defensive-minded head coach, though, so we're not going to hire him. Um, I, I don't think that's the right way to go. You, you've, you're going to limit your pool if you keep an open mind. And there's benefits to doing anything. And I, I think one of the typical human behaviors we see when you're hiring someone is – especially if the one before it didn't go well, is you kind of get the opposite. And USC's, you know, they haven't done that. You know, they, they Lane Kiffin didn't work out and they, they got Steve Sarkeesian. It was like the, almost the same thing. And then that didn't work out and you get their assistant, same thing, quarterback all the way. What happened with Colorado? Like they went out and got a Mel Tucker who was like this up and comer that you could project as a great head coach, but someone that could get poached away. Then they bring in the, the retread that hasn't coached in college football for like 13 years 
but has a home in Cal- in uh, Colorado and most likely wouldn't leave again. So it looked like they were kind of protecting against someone that would, uh, you know, leave right after that, you know, they got hired. So they kind of did the opposite of what they did uh, getting the up and comer. They got the old, the old, you know, re- the uh, retread USC's hired the same person like three times in a row or, or something similar. Uh, so I, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to put a limitation on it just because you might, Missed out on someone really good, but well, he wasn't a defensive player, so we don't want to hire him. Although Urban Meyer was a defensive back, and uh, and then uh, the guy they passed on at USC, obviously uh, Ed Orgeron, was a D line guy, and uh, so you might want to open it up instead of just just have quarterbacks in oh, the, yeah. you know in the pipeline. I mean uh, that that you know, I mean I would have a. Uh, a, a negative feeling a quarterback would have to do more to prove to me he's able to come in and coach the whole whole game because uh quarterbacks think about the game differently their their whole approach to the game they they're coached differently they practice differently you know it's just a different uh mindset to be a quarterback uh uh and i would i'm kind of prejudiced against quarterbacks yeah in the head coach. It's just harder, I think, to be a head coach if you were a quarterback. If it was like a kicker that became the head coach, they'd be curious, <laughs> like, because they're, they're doing, their practice is completely different than what, you know, defensive backs are doing or anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> they're not even on the premises for about half of the practice. Right. And, uh, <laughs> they leave and go somewhere else. So, yeah, that's the kind of example. Quarterbacks are, you know, they completely different approach to football and when you had sark and 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 lane together and they're writing plays on napkins and you know uh places where they would go after practice and all that that probably is good for you know coming up with new plays but it's maybe not necessarily the best way to come up with a better football team yeah special teams coordinators though have done well as head coaches like john harbaugh won a super bowl he was a special teams coordinator before he, you know, he wasn't an offensive or defensive coordinator, but uh, they, they deal with everyone. They deal with the entire team a lot of times. So I think there's some leadership there, but yeah, as far as the players go, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to learn as become a special teams. Like, so Sean Snyder, you know, was an all American punter. So he was punting. He wasn't like with the regular team, but then if you're a special teams coordinator for a long time, you're working with the whole team. And I think you can grow at that point, but and it might not help uh, hurt if your dad was a Hall of Fame coach and, and you coached that with him for all those years. Uh, I think, uh, and it helps. I always like with the Snyder story that it started uh, with his dad uh, as a grad assistant at USC. And I, I remember the program. And then he went, he started the uh, Foothill High School program. And uh, when they started football, uh, Bill Snyder was the was their first coach in uh, Tus- right here in Tustin. So, uh so they've got some Southern California, uh, you know, family ties, which is good. Yeah. Well, I guess it's going to wrap it up. Uh, we made it through. Thanks, everyone, for all your questions. There's a lot of questions. Yeah. Got yeah. Good job. Yeah. Nice. And I'm sorry if Keely, you know, skipped some of your questions. <laughs> I didn't skip any. I did. I didn't read. Um, John from Oakland sent us a turnover traveler candidate. I did see it. I saw his tweet, so oh, I didn't read. You but can thank talk you. to. Thank you for the PR. I sent. I already sent it to Chris. So oh, you did. We're okay. On it. Perfect. The turnover traveler. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Well, that'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks again uh, for listening and being part of the show. That's Keely Yor, Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, 
interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 